Hello and welcome to episode 10 of Grumpy Old Ben's. I am your host, Darren O'Neill, coming to you live from a bunker deep in the heart of middle America, just outside of Chicago, Illinois, where the rains are coming down in biblical fashion. And from an occasionally disclosed location on America's left coast, I am Ryan Bemrose. And occasionally disclosed. You never tell anybody where you are. Come on. You know better than that. Yeah, but my wife tells everyone. Oh, see, that is that is the breakdown in security right there. You have to have a unified front. Yeah, it's it's not convenient for her to keep my security. Well, she may just Love be you. trying to off you. She certainly is. She's even hired a couple of small assassins. So today, uh, we want to talk about freedom of speech. What's your opinion on freedom of speech? I like it. I, too, am in favor of it. So that was a good chat. Yeah. That's about all we have for on freedom of speech, both for it. Uh, you can go and donate at the grumpyoldbens.com. And until next time, no, I guess that's a little too short of an episode, even. Yeah, for, maybe we should actually say something about it. it is, you know, it's an interesting thing because we were joking around about this and the fact that it seems like it's a very simple topic on one end, which is it should always be allowed. And it's a very complicated thing. When you start looking at a bunch of different specifics, when you see what's been going on lately as far as deplatforming and stuff like that, and people could be like, well, that's not the government. But when a majority of people are on a service, what there's a lot of fallout from these types of things. And the, what, actually, what we're going to be trying to figure out here is, is there a way to save freedom of speech in the world to not completely burn itself down and kind of hopefully figure out something? Well, like the erosion of all of our rights that have been going on, well, I was about to say in modern times, but really they've been eroding for hundreds of years for as long as there are people wanting to take power from the people. But freedom of speech is is a simple concept in theory because it started out as a simple concept. And uh, one of the reasons why you have so many exceptions and carve out to, is because people so people get offended when you say things that they don't like. That's that's a thing that happens with people. Right. And somehow we are, our eugenics plans haven't managed to breed that out of us yet. So this is why freedom of speech is important, because when you censor speech, when you lose that freedom, then you don't have the ability to express your ideas. And now you, you've lost one of the fundamental things that is to be human, which is communicating ideas with other people. And freedom of speech is, well, the way I see it, it's a Boolean. Um, that's the simplest way to have. Either you have freedom of speech or your speech is infringed and you don't have freedom of it. And it, I, I can already hear everybody saying, well, that's a terrible over, oversimplification. But really, I mean, is it? If you're being censored, then you're not free to say what you want anymore. And and it could be that the things that people are censoring are not things that you want to say, but is that always going to be true? Well, and the shift that seems to be going on now, and I believe a lot of this is due to the way that we communicate a hundred years ago, even 50 years ago, communications were a totally different thing. This little thing called the internet has given everybody a really big soapbox. And to be clear, the, in, the internet hasn't changed what people say or whether no. or not they want to say it. The thing that the internet has changed is how many people you can say it to at once. Right. It's an ampl amplification factor is really what the internet is giving you, where if you wanted to say something 
100 years ago, you had to leave your house, try to gather a group of people together, go out into the town square and yell it. However loud you were, it was how many people could hear you, how many people are paying attention, all that kind of a thing. And now the fact that you can post something online like a podcast and have millions of people. Right. Or or there's podcasts. Obviously, there's all these social media sites and that. And you're putting it out there, not saying millions of people are going to see it or are going to read it or are going to hear it. Only if you're Joe Rogan. But that possibility is there. Well, we're not Joe Rogan quite yet. No, we're working on it. It would be nice to have that. But I think that is why freedom of speech is becoming a hot topic again, where it really hadn't. There were things that got figured out in the late 1700s. And then we went what, 200 and something years before this started really becoming an issue again. And technology has made a big change in that. To be clear, uh, for as long as we've had freedom of speech and for as long as we've had people in governments, there have been attempts for to expand the government's reach and attempts to expand the people's liberty. And yeah, uh, one, one example, for example, uh, was uh, Shank versus the United States, which was a, a Supreme Court case in 1919, uh, well before the internet, where Mr. Shank was distributing flyers that were protesting the draft in World War I. And he got arrested, and the Supreme Court decided that that violated, or that, that he did not have freedom of speech to distribute those flyers. That, for example, was a tremendous government overreach. It would certainly sound like it. And this goes back. I did a little bit of research, which, you know, I'd love to do for an episode of Random Thoughts, which touched on some of the freedom of speech stuff from a. You love to do research like I like to do post-production. Exactly. And the interesting thing that I found was the debates in the United States when they were this whole freedom of speech, the whole um, amendment was coming to be. And the arguments for and against, and the fact that there were people in the government, even at that time, who were going back to the way it was done in England, which was, you can't say anything bad about the crown. You can't say anything bad about the people in charge. We can't have this kind of anarchy. No, of course not. And in this case, it was mainly, you know, the the press, but, you know, it, it did go down to the normal person as well. The person on the street. It's it's a pretty transparent form of the people in power managing to keep their power. And so if they have the ability to prevent people from organizing into any kind of resistance, they have that much better chance of keeping their power. Yeah. And one of the things that I was amazed at, and I didn't realize this is how this had all come about in the United States was at first there was the thought that there was the freedom of what you could print and the freedom of what, you know, and the freedom of speech meant I could print something in a pamphlet, which, you know, this is going back into the late 1700s, or I could say something in public and I was free to say whatever I wanted to, but could then still be prosecuted for those words. So that's really not the freedom of speech to go, hey, you know what? Well, you could say anything you want. You could print anything you want, but if we don't like what you print, you could get into trouble. So we're not going to say that was, in fact, the interpretation of the First Amendment from our uh, the United States' second president, John Adams. Right. And that just blows your mind because that's completely different than what has what has shaken out in the United States. And I think the way it had shaken out is the correct way in that trying to make any kind of speech illegal. There's so many different problems with that to me. From everything from the fact that there are people who have Tourette's syndrome 
who can't help but say some things that could be deemed illegal. And then so now what do you got? You know, you have you have kind of an issue there because then you can't let somebody say something and not somebody else. Right. We, we, we can do what what was always done to them in the 1800s and just throw them into a mental asylum and, you know, out of sight, out of mind, all the unsavory and unwanted people. You just put them into an asylum and be done with it. Or we can do what we do in 2019 and block them. Right. Which is, you know, again, this is the interesting part about the freedom of speech when we get to the modern times is that we're dealing with some other different things. You know, this the, the concept that you can't have people speak against a government just seems so very anti-American, so authoritarian. Yeah, well, so completely against everything we grew up thinking of as the United States of America. The fact that this was how things were being initially interpreted when the country was being formed kind of blew my mind. It, it goes against the story that we were always told that we had freedom of speech in America and we you know, we were taught that that means that you can say things even if they're not popular. And uh, funny how that whole story is is just turning around now. They don't teach that anymore because you, you can't offend people anymore. Right. And that's what a lot of this stuff is coming down to as far as, oh, well, I'm offended. I don't want to hear that. There was a poll. I think Rasmussen did it uh, a couple of weeks ago where it's getting scary. There was something like 45% of millennials that believed that hate speech should not be legal speech. And this is, I think, where a lot of people start uh, misunderstanding a lot of things as far as the, you know, the proverbial slippery slope. What starts happening if you start taking any kind of speech and making it illegal. What is the bad part about that? We Everybody's going to go, hey, you know what? Well, we shouldn't be able to say this X, Y. We shouldn't be able to say this to this person. We shouldn't say this kind of offensive thing. You know, the N word, you know, which we've talked about before. All these kind of things that people are going to believe shouldn't be said. What's so bad about making that illegal, Ryan Bemrose? Well, obviously, you kind of nailed the the very first step down that slippery slope is that you just say, take something that you decide, uh, you know, we, we just don't need to hear and it, it doesn't contribute to society and, and it's offensive. And, and you just say, well, nobody decent wants to say that and therefore we'll just punish people. But there's a couple problems with that. The first one is inherent in any government action. In fact, every government action, uh, you, you, this uh, tentative libertarianism is that inherent in every government action is that ultimately it is enforced at the barrel of a gun. So what you are literally proposing is that if somebody says something you don't like, you think that they should be shot. And it in practice doesn't always get there, but usually because one side backs down or the other and the side that backs down is usually not the people with the guns. The other real fundamental problem is not uh, not not so much the the libertarian philosophy, although uh, I think that that should be compelling enough. But is it's it's just a practical workability problem. Basically, who gets to decide? If you are you know any reasonable person is going to say, well, this speech offends me, and that should be illegal, and maybe fuck you, nigger, is something that we can all decide is universally disliked. But what about misgendering somebody? What about? Well, you're getting into areas where people could just simply be making a mistake as well when the misgendering stuff. And it is it has happened, which is the most bizarre thing. We've seen videos online 
where people are just losing their shit because somebody calls them by the wrong gender. And, and usually there's a question when you see these people, it's not a very clear, you know, male or female kind of thing. And it's not something where somebody is trying to be offensive. It's you see somebody and the first thing you think of, you know, if there's somebody that's six foot five with the beard, you say, yes, sir. And that's not, oh, I'm, not, I'm, not a, I'm not a sir. I'm, you know, it's uh, it's something where words. Have I been wrong in thinking of you as female all this time? Yes, I'm, I'm oh. sorry. I, I'm sorry. The low voice didn't even give it away. Um, it's hard, so hard to tell. But there's, it was the beard. There is just so right. It is the beard. You need it's a big, you know, at least a little goatee going on. When I shave it off, I look like I'm 12 years old. So, you know, you, maybe I would look as I mean, I could be a pretty woman. I don't know. Never tried makeup. High heels. <laughs> do they make them in size? 50? I'm sure they do. I'm so sure anyways, there's some. The, the, other, <laughs> the, the other problem. Hey, you open the door, counselor. And, and I'm trying to find the rails. I know there are rails around <laughs> here somewhere. Uh, so one other problem with uh, deciding that anything that is offensive should be made illegal is actually inherent to the idea of offensiveness. And that is, I can say something like, fuck you, you white racist fuck, or, you know, I, I think we just got deplatformed. I'm sorry. <laughs> We're not on Facebook. It's okay. Okay. Anyways, I can say something like that and you might actually not decide not to be offended. Because you're like, well, I mean, I am white and I am kind of a fuck and racist doesn't mean anything in today's modern world. So, yeah, OK, I can worry. It's fine. Um, but I might say something like, uh, are you blind? And <laughs> I might not even think that's all that offensive, but you're the one who decides whether or not to be offended by something. And so what I'm getting at here is that as the person saying something, I don't have control over whether or not somebody is going to become offended. There is the the person who decides whether or not whether or not to become offended by something is the person hearing the words. When when you hear are you blind, you can either say, well, I mean, yeah, or you can say, you know, screw you and, you know, kick someone out of the chat for it. I don't have control over that. And uh this is where we get back to the the argument about the internet making everything louder is if I am speaking to three people and I know them all pretty well, I can say some pretty horrible things because I probably know that they're not going to get offended. Right. But as soon as you say something on the internet, you know, if there's a 0.1% chance that something you say will offend a person, and that depends entirely on whether they decide to get offended, but there's a hundred thousand people out there listening to you, somebody in there is going to be offended at what you said for reasons that you have no control over. And that has a tremendous chilling effect on speech. If I absolutely have to be certain that I will never say anything that could possibly offend anybody, something I have no control over, then I'm, I mean, the, the rational thing to do is never to say anything at all. But, uh, you know, obviously people really like saying things, uh, hearing the sounds of their own voice, myself included. So the alternative is, you end up with political correctness. Well, and this is where the, a lot of this stuff is being weaponized as well, which is Twitter is the ultimate in this. When somebody will say something, whether it's taken in context or out of context, it doesn't take long for the world as a whole to jump on these people, demonize them and different cultures and hell, different people within different cultures. Like you said, find different things, wildly different things 
to be offensive and not offensive. So trying to keep they find different things to choose to be offended by. Right. Which the, the bottom line is probably teach your kids not to be offended. And I know that's probably a hell of a lot easier said than done, but I want to know how we got to the point. It was a lot easier when we were kids and we were taught. Oh, do you, you remember this line? The one that you'll never hear in schools today? Sticks and stones. Sticks and stones. Break I was my just going to say that. Yes. <laughs> Sticks and stones will break my bones, but names will never hurt me. It's like, get, that was get out of my head. Mantra. Yeah, that was the mantra, though. It's like, what the hell has happened now where we are so caught up in what words are doing and the bottom line seems to be to me has always been this is all about taking away our rights which is you know the crackpot thing to say this is the conspiracy theory 101 is the government's trying to silence me man it's not just the government well that is absolutely true it's everybody with any kind of power and a feeling of moral superiority, whether earned or not, which is true. And that's not even often, you know, I don't think people even realize it to a certain extent of it. As you mentioned earlier, the, are you blind line, which happened in the no agenda troll room. When I kicked my good buddy, Gene, Witch out, and he's been a 14 year old crying bitch about it ever since. But the truth of the matter was I felt bad about it immediately afterwards. Well, I mean, he, he, he really didn't, have any solid reason to think that you would react that way i mean yes he was being a jerk but he was he was just saying the kind of thing that to a normal person probably be like oh i mean no but let's talk about this and there's no reason to think uh that that you would react that way right except you know i'm nuts right i'm i'm, I'm unhinged well we we all are in our own way <laughs> and it happens to everybody at one point or another, you're going to have something that kind of makes you snap, which is why this kind of stuff, when you start making it illegal, you know, these are where words are becoming illegal when things in different cultures, too, can be looked at even within the same language. I mean, I think we talked about this once before, where in the English language, if you're in the United States and you say, hey, go get me a fag means completely different thing than if you're in England and say, hey, go get me a fag. Well, and here in Seattle, I mean, regardless of which one you're talking about, they probably could. Hey, if it's a one stop shop for everything, that's a beautiful city. But this is where you really start having a problem when you start making language illegal. And I saw this coming when bullying first started becoming a thing. And I think this is going on at least 10 years ago now. I think it was more than that. I, I feel like I barely got out of public school before some of the, the zero tolerance, for example, started becoming a policy across the country. Yes. Yeah, so you know, the anti-bullying stuff. I mean, again, when we were kids, anti-bullying meant somebody was you know trying to take your lunch money or pushing you down or you know there was a physical altercation. I don't remember ever when we were growing up the verbal tauntings, which everybody got at one point or another, you know, that was never considered bullying. I mean, this was just, again, no, sticks was, and stones. I, I believe that the, it was it was teasing is what we call it. Yes. I mean, teasing happened all over the place. And for the most part, uh, if if it didn't escalate to something physical, then the teachers would be like, hey, knock it off. And that was the end of it. Yeah. And which is usually the way it should have. been. I remember. A guy named John Passy that I went to a junior high with, and we didn't especially get along. And we were two of the probably the bigger kids in the junior high. 
And I remember one day he said something and we just start going at it. And of course, the the teacher that was out on the on the playground, this was before school, sent us into the principal's office. And this is really like something you'd see out of a comedy, because the minute we got into the principal's office and he's like, you know, hey, what the hell was going on? And we're both just like, no, we were just kidding around. She didn't know. No, that wasn't a fight. You know, because that was it was all self-policed. Sure. You know, there there was never there was never. And this was, you know, a physical altercation. And the funny thing is that a lot of times you were as because there weren't any stricter consequences for it. You were capable of becoming friends at the end of the ordeal. Yes. Which is usually what happened. You know, and that was because you were able to handle things yourself, which we're seeing a big problem with this in, you know, sports and how baseball is having that problem where, you know, the two teams, oh, somebody threw at the other one. Oh, we can't have this. And uh, they're not allowing the two teams to, you know, to take care of their own business. But that's been baseball. Right? Yes, that's uh, that's one of the that, uh, I don't understand that. That that's how baseball works. <laughs> Always has been. Yes. If you show the other guy up, well, he's going to knock you down and it's all, you know, everybody goes along their own merry way. It's a self-policing system and it was working. You know, everything. I don't understand the bullying stuff when it start coming in. I remember, you know, there was a girl that committed suicide and granted, nobody likes that. That was a tragedy. That That is a problem. And they were blaming the, they were blaming like some of the kids in her class. And it was, there was even like one of the mothers of one of the other girls that was, you know, shown to be involved in this, whatever kind of teasing, bullying behavior that was going on on Facebook. And they were trying to hold these people responsible for the girl committing suicide. And then there was another case that would happened after that, where they went after the girlfriend of the guy who committed suicide because he tweeted or texted her something that he was going to kill himself. And she responded with, you know what, just do it already. Except what they didn't tell you was there were like texts for the previous every day for the month previous or something like that of him saying, I'm going to kill myself and her saying, no, don't. You have a lot to live for, blah, blah, blah. She finally snaps and says, oh, just go ahead and do it. And then he kills himself. And then she's in jail for that now. And to me, this is absolutely nuts that other people are being held responsible for somebody else's decision and somebody else's what they do to themselves. Because of some words they said or texted to them. The examples you gave are clearly terrible tragedies. And it's yes. it's horrible whenever something bad happens. Uh, you know, somebody commits suicide or uh, somebody brings a, a squirt gun to school and uh, they, they call it a school shooting. But I think that the there's a there's a much bigger tragedy. And this is, again, me showing my bias. Every time that one of these incidents is used to change policy all the way across the nation, uh, let me ask you a rhetorical question. And that is, do you think that nobody ever got angry and wanted to bring violence to school before, say, 1996, was it, when, whenever the Columbine thing happened? Do you, do you think that that was the first time that anybody had ever gone to school? unhinged and and wanted to perform violence obviously I, as far as the 24 7 coverage it is but uh let, let me get to my rhetorical point which is we feel like oh my god these things are happening so much more often in the modern times because we now have 24 7 news people who are scouring all 300,000 schools in america and all several million schools in the entire world looking for anything that might be a story and then 
putting that as front page news. Whereas 50 years ago, your stories were, if, if you're in Chicago, then your stories are going to be things that happen in Chicago. And statistically, not nearly as many things happen. But now they're like every single day, something happens somewhere in the world because there's billions of people in the world. And statistically, something has to happen somewhere. And they're using that as evidence that things are getting worse and therefore we need to crack down on people. And I think that it's not just the internet, but the internet age has brought this along is everybody's connected to everybody else. And now every time something happens, we, everybody sees it. Well, everybody sees it. And the stories that are being told are told because of a certain narrative that wants to be pushed, whether that, whatever that narrative is, will depend on who you're hearing it from. And this also goes down maybe a side channel of freedom of speech, which is, you know, how do you guarantee a journalism level that is actually fair, actually gives you the facts without being completely one-sided? And I don't think there's any way for that to happen anymore, which is kind of sad because it leads everybody into a point to where if you believe that everything you hear or anything you see from your news coverage, which you can use air quotes on news coverage, I think, at this point. But when you know that every bit of information you're getting has already gone through somebody else's bias filter, that starts leading you down other problems. And which is, again, why I think we're getting so much of this with people being against speech, the hate speech, the bullying. This is a narrative that's been thrown at us over and over again. And everybody wants to find an answer. I mean, there's one of those things to where it's like, you know, a lot of times people tell you, you know, if you want to be a, you know, a good boyfriend, girlfriend, wife, husband, you know, just learn how to listen and not offer advice and not look for offer that solution. We're living in an age where everybody wants to give a solution. Everybody wants to have a solution and they're seeing this. Oh, this hate speech. Why would this kid go shoot up his high school? Whatever. Well, there's obviously some, they think there's an answer that can be found in this hate speech and in controlling it or whatever. Allow me to clarify you. You're saying people want a solution. Can, can you clarify a solution to what? Because if the problem that you've identified that you think we need a solution to is humans being assholes to other humans, I don't think in hundreds of thousands of years of humans being on this planet that anybody has ever come up with that. And I think that it's a little unrealistic to think we can fix that. I agree, but I think people believe that. The other potential problem is I see a news story. Something terrible has happened in you know, bumfuck Maine. And that news story makes me feel terrible because, oh my God, there's such a terrible tragedy and something happened. And, and, oh, what, what if it could happen? And the problem now is, that I am being manipulated to feel frightened and shame for something that happened far, far away. The solution to that is I need to stop watching the news because this is not healthy. Because some kid was bullied, whatever that entails, and they took their own life. Now we must find an answer to this. I agree. There is no answer. I agree with you 100% there. Was just making the point that I think people being assholes to each other started with Adam and Eve. We can go like religious for a minute there. I think the first two people on earth pretty much had problems with each other, you know, and that has never changed if, since. If and they, it never if they will. didn't, we'd all still be in the garden. That's true. And it will, there will never be an answer. So I understand 
the concept. I understand how people think, well, we, this is kind of like, I guess, socialism. We could just do it right this time and not millions of people won't die. It'll be great. We can figure out this magical combination of things we can do and things we can't say, and the world will be utopia. And this is where people thinking they can solve these things. You know, people going, hey, well, we could just let's just get rid of all guns. There won't be any more violence. I hate to tell you, guns have only been around for a few hundred years and violence has been around for a few thousand. And the devil is always in the details. Name your utopia and I can describe to you six different ways that your entire utopia will fail the moment that you insert humans. Well, yeah, humans screw everything up. Humans are an amazing creature and I honestly believe they are the greatest thing that this planet has ever created. But they're also deeply flawed and deeply fucked up on a lot of levels. And you don't fix that by trying to enforce the people and force them to at gunpoint to be good to each other. You fix that. Well, in so much as you can ever fix that, you fix it by demonstrating good and bad and providing, making sure that people understand the difference and making sure that people communicate with each other and that we're all on the same page and understand each other and and theoretically even like each other and the way that you do that is free exchange of ideas you you cannot come to an understanding if you're not allowed to communicate which is why the any idea that we should prevent people from exchanging ideas needs to be resisted as much as possible well yeah and speech is right in the middle of what we've been talking about here, there are some things in this country that are still illegal to say. Everybody brings up the same uh, concept, which is you can't yell fire in a crowded theater. Oh, oh, hot button. Go on. Well, to that, it makes a certain amount of sense being the fact that it's kind of like if you give somebody information that's going to cause them to panic, cause harm, do something like that. I see where you should probably be somewhat held responsible if you're doing this in a nefarious way, but it's one of these things to where then you're starting to take speech and say, okay, well, there are certain things you can say that can get you into trouble. And that immediately then you're, it's like, you're going down that water slide and that slippery slope is one of those, you know, one of the water slides where you go like 60 miles an hour, like at a 90 degree straight down kind of a thing. The fact that I'm still alive means I don't usually take those. Uh, the fire, (laughs) the fire in a theater example is, uh, it's a seductive meme precisely because it makes intuitive sense and everybody thinks you know yeah this this is this is important so this this should be a carve out uh this should be a place where oh uh i guess that freedom of speech should be curbed and that's that's how it's used uh, i in in the history of rhetoric you know the last 100 years but by the way that that quote was from uh supreme court chief justice oliver wendell holmes in writing the majority opinion in the case of Shank versus United States, which I mentioned earlier. So 1919, that quote has been around for 100 years. Happy birthday quote. (laughs) And for 100 years, uh, that line has been brought out for one reason and one reason only. And that is everybody who uses the line fire in a crowded theater is using it to set up uh, uh, to establish that there should be limits on free speech as a precursor to proposing limits on free speech. The line in itself, as soon as you hear it, 
uh, you know, your your skeptical bullshit meter needs to start pegging because as soon as somebody says, well, you can't shout fire in a crowded theater, then bullshit incoming. Somebody is trying to justify censoring you. Well, now what happens if I say, say you and I are walking down the street and we're, you know, we're having an argument and I'm getting really pissed off at you. And I see there's a couple of cops walking the other way towards us. And all of a sudden I kind of jump away from you and go, he's got a gun. And I point at you and they decide that they're going to tackle you, tase you, something like that. Should I be responsible for what I just said? Or am I totally off the hook? Cause freedom of speech is free. Well, you deserve to get your ass beat. <laughs> well, that's true, but that's not just in this particular case. Um, I, 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 you know, in, in a, in, in my ideal utopia where everybody is rational, the police walking down the street will exercise some kind of restraint and will hopefully try to ascertain for themselves whether or not I'm a threat before pulling out their guns and popping a cap in me. I don't believe that we live in that utopia. And obviously that is kind of an extreme example, but you can see where that kind of a stuff could be. I mean, this is going down the line of the doxing stuff where, you know, you have a SWAT team show up at somebody's house because, you know, shits and giggles and somebody gets killed. So just to be clear, there are things that you shouldn't say because they are antithetical to living and functioning in society. Right. And I think you do believe that there should be some kind of repercussions. If somebody files like a false police report, you can't be like, yes, there are repercussions and should be repercussions for everything that you do. Every action has a reaction. And usually that reaction is pretty benign. You step off of the curb and the result is that now you're in the street. Uh, Okay, that's fine. But every once in a while you step off the curb without listening or paying attention, then the result is that you're smeared all over the front of a bus. And do you think that that should be used as an example of we need to put railings on every sidewalk and prevent people from ever stepping into a street? Well, obviously, again, look at Major League Baseball. We put uh, netting. Well, we didn't put Major League Baseball put netting all the way down now past the visitors dugouts. And of course, even yesterday, now a four year old girl gets hit again with the baseball because you know what? You can't prevent everything. I don't know. I I guess I've never been hit by a baseball, probably because I don't spend that much time in baseball parks, which is where that sort of thing's likely to happen. Right. Or you'd be watching, understanding that there are these projectiles flying in the air. And if you actually had a four-year-old child with you, you wouldn't put them in the line of fire. And if you did have them by you, you would be extra vigilant, making sure if anything does come flying your way. You get between them and said projectile, but I digress this. A lot of this stuff goes down to just, just paying attention. (laughs) Yes. And paying attention. And when it comes to kids, to me, a lot of this comes down to bad parenting. And maybe this is just a total bullshit for you and I to talk about because neither one of us have kids, but a lot of this bullying stuff, it's like, teach your fucking kids. They have worth teach them that people are going to say shitty things to them and not to let it get to a point to where they feel so worthless, they're going to take their own life. And that's, I know it's a shitty thing to say to parents who had kids kill themselves, but you know, were you really paying attention? Did you really teach them not to listen to these so-called bullies? And, you know, could you have done more? And, you know, I don't know. I know there's every situation's a little bit different, but we're hearing a lot less of the sticks and stones now and more, you know, the, the parents that'll be like, oh, yes, it was so horrible. My kid was getting bullied. I went to the school and talked to the teacher. And it's like, no, kid, the world is not a, a happy goat, lucky utopia, like you say. 
and people need to have somewhat of a thick skin to be able to succeed in life. And you look at somebody like President Trump. Now, whether you like him or not, the guy has taken a lot of shit and keeps coming back. He's not in a corner, as far as we can tell, in the fetal position crying, which I think a lot of people would be after getting the abuse that he has from the media and, well, a large portion of the world. I like to think that I have some thick skin, but I don't think I could take what Trump has taken. So whether you like him or not, if if you're rational, then you need to at least admire and recognize that that he is either, uh, you know, depending on your perspective, he's either thick skinned or bullheaded enough that he's not letting the universally bad coverage of every media outlet get to him right and you see like a lot of these celebrities and stuff when they start getting blasted on twitter they go into a depression it's it's amazing to me how much people will let random assholes in the world a lot of times bots when it comes to the internet say things to where it lets it affect them i applaud guys like michael buble who had you know his son had cancer he said he decided years ago to just stop reading all reviews, to keep off you know, a bunch of this, uh, never read anything about his albums, concerts, or whatnot as far as when it comes down to critics. And I think that is a much healthier way to go. That's pretty much that. That's my philosophy with regards to things like Twitter and Facebook. Yeah. You're, you, if you're getting your self-worth from Twitter and Facebook, I think you have a really big problem. But when the, in the sphere of freedom of speech, here's these twitters and facebook's and these kind of things now the interesting question becomes people will say well the freedom of speech even if we're just talking within the united states you know the government guarantees you that all of these services are not government run they're all owned by private companies who don't have to give you freedom of speech and i fully want to support that because i understand the system and i understand that twitter is a business i understand that facebook is a business and they have the right to decide how they want to run their business and wh- what they want their product to be and they get to decide this and that's why the product either succeeds or fails and and that's why the proper response to deplatforming by facebook and twitter and google is not by the way to have tried to ask somebody to regulate them. You are free to protest them. And I think you should, because it should be very made very clear that this is not cool and not okay behavior, but ultimately, yeah, it's their decision. So what's the remedy for those of us who are not in line with the Silicon Valley values? Well, we need to stop fucking using these services. We need to bring up and promote competing services that do not have people at the top with these addled ways of thinking where they believe that they can change human behavior by controlling what people say to each other. Exactly. Get off of Facebook, get off of Twitter, go to Mastodon. Uh, I, uh, you know, I, I really like no agenda social because it is, uh, it, it has actually been banned from multiple Mastodon servers because, and I quote, it is a free speech zone. And and I wear that as a badge of courage. It's not like somebody can even point to hate filled speech or crazy, uh, you know, calls for violence. There is nothing that I've seen on no agenda social that I would find to be anything even remotely offensive. But the fact that you have people 
you are not paying close enough attention. Well, again, what I find to be offensive. Well, that's just it. You may not have chosen to become offensive. There are certainly things on there that people will call offensive. And there are a lot of people who will say, oh, that's offensive. And I'm sure there's lots of things I've said where people are like, I'm offended at that. And I'm like, okay, that's fine. That's your choice. I just said, hello. Just stop reading. Right. You don't have to read it. I do believe that Zuckerberg calling, I mean, the fact that he actually said, you know, this is a gross, um, you know, simplification, but it seems like he came out in bed like, well, maybe the government should regulate us. I do believe that was his way of trying to protect the people that are getting deplatformed as weird as it is. Actually, it was a fairly brilliant line because it was, although not nearly as many people bought the line as I think he wanted, uh, it was virtue signaling uh, and it was also a fairly good business move because regulation, government regulation of an industry always favors the big players and prevents competition and, and prevents small players from coming up. Because the big players have teams and teams of legal compliance experts who can get through and work through all the regulations. And they have teams of lobbyists who can suggest what the regulations should be. The small players might have three people in a garage and there's no way they can get through all those regulations. And so they just say, eh, I guess we're not going to be starting up this company in, in the place where Facebook is. Proposing that social media should suddenly be regulated is Zuckerberg's say, way of saying, I've got mine. Fuck you all. I want to keep my power. It could also be, though, that you know that the people that are working for you are ultra one side of the political aisle, and you know that you would have a whole lot of trouble if you were the guy at the top saying, Well, no, let's let Alex Jones speak. Let's let, you know, he's not making these decisions. I don't believe. I'm sure that there's. Zuckerberg doesn't want Alex Jones to speak. Are you sure? Any more than anyone? Well, I've never met the guy, to be honest. You know, it's, it's just something to me that when even Bill Maher is the guy saying, well, even, you know, I don't like Alex Jones, but he gets to speak, as we've heard every time uh, Mark Von Dyke runs that clip at the beginning of the uh, Mark and George show or his The Void Zero show. I'm still convinced that clip was a deep fake because I don't think Maher has that much insight. No, I, I believe he does because he was one of the few that even backed Laura Ingram when one of these things was going on to where I think he is on the side of freedom of speech. I know he will, you know, really fight like a rabid dog for what, you know, going against what people have said. But I think he does believe that people should be allowed to say these things. And to me, I think this is where you and I are also on that same page, which is I understand there are dangerous people with dangerous ideas trying to do dangerous things. The problem when you start taking away their freedom of speech, whether it's on social media or whatever, they're going to say this stuff somewhere. So they're going to go underground. Wouldn't you rather know what they're saying? Be able to, again, if you have kids, teach them why what this person is saying is absolutely insane or why it's wrong. And again, right and wrong is, is a big thing. Why? Isn't that why we have the surveillance society so that we know what they're saying even after they go under? Well, yeah, but then we don't get to hear it. You know, that's only people in three-letter agencies that, uh, that's that get to listen to all the podcasts out there. Yeah, my my NSA feed got cut off. I need to get to check on that. Yeah, just get your handler. Everything will get taken care of. Just tell them Zulu Zulu Charlie one, and that'll all get that'll all get fixed. Don't worry about that. Triggered. But I think why would you not want people to have? Really, 
the thing is, if anybody wants somebody else shut up, that's usually when I know within every inch of my being, at least believe that they're the ones trying to hide something. The more you're trying to shut somebody else up, the more I worry about you because you know, when you see somebody, it's like the Blues Brothers, you know, when they've got the Illinois Nazis on the bridge and you know, I hate Illinois Nazis. But if you didn't get to hear the idiotic things they were saying, you don't have this information. It's like, why can't you immediately make that decision between what's right and wrong? Why is something so dangerous that somebody is saying that you actually want to be able to cut them off so people can't even hear it? What could be so bad? Well, you just run into one of the inherent problems with any kind of censorship, which is that it's the the Streisand effect. Uh, it, for lack of a better Bad term, music. actually, I think it's a no. Well, that that is one effect, but no. Uh, in uh, actually, ten years ago this month, Mike Masnick from Tech Dirt put out a uh, an article where he coined the phrase the Streisand effect, and the effect actually was originally from uh, there was a a project that somebody had taken helicopter photos, like like 30,000 photos of the entire length of California's coastline for the purpose of charting and mapping erosion. And in the five years that the archive was up, the particular image, which showed a picture of Barbara Streisand's coastal home, had been downloaded maybe four times. And she sent her lawyers to the archive and ordered them to remove the one photo that had her home in it. And as a result of that story going out, that particular photo got downloaded 500,000 times within the <laughs> next two months. And that is effectively what the Streisand effect is, is the, the idea that when you attempt to censor something and you attempt to hide or suppress information, it causes people to want to get that information even more. And uh, as a result, a lot of censorship efforts backfire badly. You know, other examples of of the same effect in human psychology is uh, piracy. Uh, You know, if if somebody is limiting your access, your legitimate access to a particular movie and you want to see the movie, or maybe you weren't sure you wanted to see the movie and maybe you did, maybe you didn't. And suddenly they say, you know what, actually, we're not going to let you see it on this service. And you're like, well, why not? Actually, there was a fantastic example only a couple uh, weeks ago with a, a film called Borderless by, you know who Laura Southern is? No. Oh, see, I didn't either before this event <laughs> happened. Uh, she is a documentary, uh, she a documentarian who created a hour and a half long documentary, uh, very dry. I watched about 20 minutes before I couldn't watch anymore. Uh, but it, it describes social problems which occur from the open border policy in the European Union, and in particular, a lot of the problems that are being caused by their current immigration crisis. And she put that documentary up, and within 24 hours, YouTube had censored it. They just pulled the video down, and she tried to put up a backup, and they pulled that one down, and she uh, went out onto social media and said, you know, I tried to put this out, but uh, YouTube doesn't want it. And you know what? If it wasn't for YouTube censoring, I never would have heard of Lauren Southern. I would have no idea that that movie existed. And I think that that's true for a lot of people. YouTube invoked the Streisand effect by taking this film about immigration crisis in Europe and 
making everybody go, wow, I wonder what's there if they're going to try to censor it that much. Right. And this is also an interesting concept with we've been talking about freedom of speech very specifically on what you can say, what you can print. But we do go to into freedom of speech recently in California. Allegedly, I, according to John C. Dvorak, a judge said taking a dump on the street was covered for here. Freedom of speech uh, amendment. So there are different things, different that, artwork. That is some stinky and noisy speech, let me tell you. Yes, it is. And this this opens up a whole new can of worms and stuff like the, you know, Alex Rodriguez. I don't even want to know about the worms in that. <laughs> right. And the when it comes to the fecal matter on the San Francisco streets, I'm sure there are maggots involved. They think there's a whole new plague coming because of this. And I, I certainly wouldn't doubt it. But with photographs and things like this being covered under freedom of speech, Yankee great. Alex Rodriguez, now retired, married to J-Lo or getting married to J-Lo, was sitting on the toilet in his bathroom the other day. I love you calling him Yankee great because he actually played for the Seattle Mariners when I was a season ticket holder and I really liked him back then. Yeah, well, he played for Seattle, Texas. Then he gave Seattle the big, well, uh, he went to Texas after he gave Seattle the big fuck you because Seattle was a failing team and he... Instead of trying to make the team better, he just said, well, you're going to have to give me five times more money or I'm leaving. And they said, he no, didn't want to be with a, he didn't want to be with a failing team. So, but you know, Hey, I can't blame him. And, but then again, he, he does which, go down, which by the way was awesome because for the next three seasons, every single time he came to play in Seattle, the entire stadium <laughs> booed him because they had that freedom to do so. Uh, now, now he goes down in history as a guy who really never did well in the postseason and, uh, you know, so everybody's got their cross to bear. And now his new cross to bear was, you know, somebody from a building across the way with a telephoto lens or maybe a drone. I don't know. I think it's hard to probably to fly drones in downtown New York, but uh, I could be wrong. Somebody was able, though, to take a picture of him while he was sitting on his toilet in his apartment, taking a crap and put that picture out over the Internet. And there was not a damn thing he could do about it because of how that is hilarious. Yeah, just how, how it lacks the uh, privacy laws are in new york especially but you know there are things I, I do have to ask how how would you feel if somebody did that to you it would not be a good thing i mean i think about because that every honestly time. i'd i'd be flattered <laughs> <laughs> so if and, anybody and also <clears throat> and, and also anybody who looks at a naked picture of my fat ass is going to deserve the therapy bills that they end up with right i mean they're like hey if you want to put this online i'm not going to guarantee that your uh, your connection doesn't melt down your monitor doesn't break uh, but i but i have had that thought because in the house that we're in now the upstairs bathroom has a huge skylight so i'm always thinking when i'm taking a shit i mean this is probably not what google with their google map satellites had intended with this technology but every time that i sit down to take a dump now i kind of look up at the skylight and be like hey google that's what I think of when I take a shit. Hey, Google. And maybe that maybe that is now I've got what they want. Now I've got this image of you sitting on the toilet, looking straight up and going, OK, Google. Right. And Add cornflakes to my list. Hey, when you need cornflakes, you need cornflakes. But all of this stuff is covered you know, under freedom of speech. And I, I will never understand how something could be so horrible to, you know, Germany went to that need well like say knee-jerk reaction but it wasn't necessarily a knee-jerk reaction after the you know the nazi regime to where anything with the swastika on it anything that was deemed to have anything to do with the third reich was made illegal copies of hitler's book was made illegal which we could definitely make a case for being important reading to understand the mindset 
of somebody that does horrible things. So I don't really get that, you know, nor do I get the thing where my dad has somewhere a Nazi flag from one of his uncles who fought in World War II. Whatever building they captured, whatever, wherever this was from, they took the flag and it's a signature of everybody from his troop that had fought. And to me, it's like, well, this is not celebrating the Nazis. This is celebrating bringing these bastards down. But this, again, is where, like with freedom of speech, who's deciding which side to put this on? Is this a relic from the winning side or is this, you know, from a Nazi flag or is it, you know, these guys that captured the flag who were buddies that were fighting for freedom? Who decides what side they come on, right? If you live in a society where the standard for determining what should or shouldn't be allowed is whether or not somebody gets offended by it, then who decides is anybody, anybody with an extra grind can go up and say, I've been offended and you can't prove it wrong. And so congratulations, you just destroyed somebody with no repercussions because you chose to be offended or at least you chose to claim you were offended. Right. And that's the slippery slope because anybody can claim they were offended by anything. So if you're out there trying to get somebody silenced, just understand the next time they're going to be coming for you. Somebody else is going to think that you're offensive. And how did we get to this point to where when we were kids, again, growing up, I remember you know doing a lot of driving when uh, Howard Stern was on the air and, and various shock jocks, but he was the biggest name. I don't think that type of thing would be anywhere near allowed anymore. I think even Howard has really calmed himself down quite a bit. Well, I, I mean, how did we get to this point for, for as long as we've had people in governments, we've had people who wanted to silence each other. And there's a, is a bit of a pendulum. Uh, you know, I, I, decades ago, you, you probably are old enough to remember there was a, a time when it was the Republicans, it was the right that were the party of censorship, uh, in particular, the, the religious ones were saying, you know, thou shalt not blaspheme and thou shalt not. And they were, there was a real concern that, uh, the religious fundamentalists were going to erode the first amendment because, uh, you couldn't have any kind of speech that was uh, offensive to God. The uh, when video games were a brand new medium, people were actually trying to get them banned from certain areas because these things glorify violence. You know, when the the big blockbuster summer movies of the eighties came out, and uh, you had uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger going up and shooting a hundred thousand people, and then uh, you know saying the f bomb several times, and and then of course you know one actress would show a, a breast or nipple for uh, about 10 seconds. I think that's, those are all on the same level of offensiveness. <laughs> and <laughs> that, that was, uh, there, there were calls for censorship for this media because these were offensive. And then don't forget Tipper Gore and the whole music uh, thing, music oh, lyrics. Yes. Uh, what, where do you come down on now that nobody buys physical media anymore, more or less, unless you're buying vinyl. But where do you come down on the parental sticker with the big warning label on there if the material is deemed inappropriate for kids? Isn't it enough? To- it's easy enough to ignore. Which right? Uh, Stores never. I, no, I I am actually I am entirely in favor of providing more information to the person making an, to make an informed decision about what they want to purchase for themselves and for their kids. Uh, if you decide 
that you don't want your kids listening to grumpy old Ben's because we drop F bombs. You have that right as a parent. And if you decide because you're offended by something Darren says, which is easy to do. Yeah, it happens all uh, the time. That, <laughs> Gene Witch, especially, then, he hates me. Just randomly in the no agenda troll room during day or night, I just get hate. If if you decide that you are offended by something that I say or that Darren says, you have every right to not listen to the Grumpy Old Ben's podcast, to not listen to anything that I say, anything that we do when we connect live to our, our streaming servers. Uh, you You have my permission and my blessing to not listen. But what you don't have my permission to do is tell me not to say it. And that is the bottom line. That is the bottom line is that people should be allowed to speak. We're running into weird times now because a lot of speech is going on on forums that are not under government control. They're on uh, forums that are under controls of various different governments. And this is starting to get to be a very hairy thing when you really look at all these things to where there's no there's no easy way to fix this problem. You know, there was one thing that I wanted to bring up uh, with regards to the uh, private companies who are now uh, censoring speech and communication and freedom of expression. And that is the companies that are, are censoring. uh, I, I know exactly how they're doing it, but let me ask you, how are they getting away with, are are you familiar with uh, the 1989 communications decency act in particular there's one chunk in there which is one of the few things i've ever seen that i actually liked in any kind of law called section 230 which is known as the safe harbor provision are you familiar with this yes that is what says as long as you are simply a conduit for the speech meaning you're just putting up a website you've got sir ryan bemrose's site you're letting anybody that wants to come on there post audio post pictures post text as long as you don't decide who gets to speak, you cannot be breaking any laws. But the minute you decide to be an editor and say, well, hey, wait a minute, you, Alex Jones, you don't get to speak. Everybody else does. Now you're held responsible for every damn thing on your site. Is that close? Yeah, that's pretty much the gist of it. Basically, it, what it says is if you are a a conduit of user generation, it has to do with uh, a reaction to the idea that companies could be sued for users posting things on their platform. And the law came about and actually quite sensibly said, if somebody is nothing more than a conduit of user content and they are not filtering it in any way, then you have safe harbor prevent protection, which is you can't be sued for something that a user says if all you're doing is storing it without filtering. and. This was this actually shaped a lot of the early Internet. It was it was uh, the immunity provided for safe harbor uh, actually enabled early social networks to become a thing and for user generated content to actually take off on the Internet, because otherwise people would have been suing each other left and right. and No company would ever have allowed users to post things on their websites. Right. So it, it turned out to be a pretty useful thing. The question then that I have for you is. How is it that Facebook and Twitter and Google are getting away with filtering content now? I have no idea because they shouldn't legally be able to. But this should have been the ultimate bit of legislation, which would have made these companies go. Any, anybody trying to censor people and to take them offline should have been like, uh-uh, because <laughs> the minute I take your guy off, you know, I. That is the way it should be. 
Right. The only explanation I can come up with is that it's not being enforced because they have politicians in and and regulators in their pocket. That's the only explanation I can come up with. Well, it's not because being the law enforced. Is still on the books, right? It's not being the law enforced. Is still on the books. It's just not being enforced. It's kind of like uh, the you know the things. Some of the things that uh, Microsoft got nearly split up for back in the nineties are the kind of things that Google does three times a day now and. Just nobody really seems to care because we don't enforce antitrust anymore. And if these companies took these laws seriously, they would have never done this unless you really want to believe. And I think I do to a to a certain extent that these people that run the Twitters and the Facebooks are so politically to the left that they would risk this to shut the people up on the right that they don't like. Which is nuts because this could totally that is what happened. It could torpedo their business and take them from billions to zero. So why risk that? I can only hope that's what happens. Like I said, stop using Facebook and Twitter. I, I the only recourse that we have as a public is if you don't like this censorship that they are performing, stop using it. That is good advice. Go to something like noagendasocial.com. If you need an invite for that, feel free to reach out to us. You can go to, you can go, there are hundreds of alternatives out there to the big social media, but because they're not big, people don't know, tend to know about them, but there's uh, YouTube alternatives, uh, which of course I can't think of like at the bitch moment. Shoot. Uh, yeah. Bitch, bitch, shoot. <laughs> bitch, shoot. Yes. Not bitch. Yes. Shoot. Okay. Well, yes, that uh, there. Yes, there's alternatives to YouTube like BitChute. There's alternatives to Twitter like Mastodon and the Fediverse. There's alternatives to Facebook like there was one called uh, uh, Discordia. No, Divinia. Eh, I don't remember. Um, there's Gab. I don't even know what that's an alternative to. Well, Gab is kind of like Twitter. And the big news on Gab that uh, has been going around is that they are redoing their software right now and expect it to shortly be talking to the Fediverse. So they're really looking at taking Mastodon and adding their features to it, which which is actually really cool because the the smaller, the way social networks work is that the bigger you are, the bigger you will be because of the network effect. The, the network effect basically says the number of people you have squared is how much power you have. And the things like this federation of, of the Mastodon Fediverse is how you get the you get the network effect but don't centralize all of your power i'm a huge fan of that right and it makes sense and i know some people like it and some people hate it but to me it comes down to the fact where i know you need to be a dude named ben and i know a lot of people listening to the show are more technologically advanced than most where some of these there was one uh i'm blanking on the name but there's a mastodon like service that is very lightweight that you can run on a raspberry pi which means you could basically run your own server that talks to the fediverse too so there's never anybody that could that could censor you and i think this is a lot of the the map where things are going is that we're going to have many more smaller networks that talk to each other in the long run rather than everybody going to a twitter or everybody going to a facebook for those reasons alone which is you're more secure. Nobody can shut you up. Nobody can decide who you see and who you don't, which is, well, again, a lot of these things we didn't even talk about in this episode, but things like shadow banning on Twitter, which means, 
hey, you're still on. Well, you're not, but somebody's still on Twitter and posting <laughs> and they think their messages are getting out to everybody. But Twitter's not sending them out. Well, Twitter didn't invent shadow banning and they're not the first people who use it. But yes, they've definitely popularized it. Yes. And it's a subversive thing for people to not because it's very easy once you know well, it's, that you're being sick. What, what it is, is that is the that is passive aggressive moderation. You know, when when I was running uh, my PHP BB way back in the day, you know, uh, 2002, somebody came out and started being a total asshole on the board. We'd ban them and that was it. We're done. Okay. You know, you're good. Fine. But that is, uh, you are being a jerk. And as a moderator or an admin, I am being aggressive with you. Shadow banning is the extremely passive aggressive form of that. It is saying, I'm going to ban you, but I don't want the confrontation because your ideas might actually convince me not to ban you. And we can't possibly have any exchange of ideas. Well, and you also don't give the person a chance to be pissed off and go, you know, throw a fit everywhere that hey, I was I was shut down. Nor do you give the person a chance to defend themselves or otherwise uh, explain or uh, you, you don't come with with something like that. You don't come to an understanding. You are literally cutting off the conversation and everybody walks away pissed off. And this is ultimately really bad for human interaction. Well, which is why there's this whole outrage culture is happening is because we're talking in little snippets <laughs> because every everything from our media to our social networks to our friends on me and social media are all so passive aggressive now that everybody is angry all the time. Yeah. And that can't be good for people. And I'm, I'm grumpy and I come on this podcast and rant, but I'm actually a really happy guy because I don't pay any attention to all of this anger. You don't pay attention to any of the own anger that you bring to the grumpy old Ben's podcast. No, I lay it on you and then I'm done. <laughs> well, that's why your wife sent you off onto podcasting is so somebody else could, uh, yeah, could get a little yeah. bit of that. And I understand that. And it's she, she, she was she was jealous of everybody else. Right. And you're the one that asked me the one day after one of the random thoughts, like, well, how do you keep doing this without your blood pressure going like through the roof? And it's like, well, it's because it is sport. It is entertainment. It is. And I look at it this way. The ideas that I'm bringing are my own ideas. But I do know that there is something to be said. People enjoy hearing somebody be a little bit more pissed off, bringing the emotion to it. I could say the same exact thing, which, yeah, you know, I, I really just I don't think the Cubs are a good team. And, and that's that's fine for if you're on NPR. But for the, the audience, we're going to we're doing something more like, you know, hey, fuck the Cubs. Stop giving them your money. And, and it's healthier. It is because at the end of it, you <laughs> it go, I feel better. Yeah, any therapist will tell you that one of the worst things you can possibly do with your anger is bottle it in. And that's what being passive aggressive is all about is is bottling your anger and then just letting it seep out a little bit at a time. But you never really let the pressure go off. Right. So I'm recommending to everybody right now listening to this episode of Grumpy Old Ben's. Let out a primal scream now. Yes. Yes. Just find the first random person you come across (laughs) and scream at them and tell them how terrible they are. And then. Walk away. Yeah. Do your best drill better. instructor. And and make and if you do that, try not to try to make sure that it's not a cop and you don't look <laughs> like you're carrying a gun. Grumpy old Benz is not responsible if you get yourself clocked in the head with a brick. <laughs> there we should have a sign off thing somewhere for a EULA, but that's you know. I don't know. I you know, I uh, part of 
I've never been any good at passive aggressive. And I think part of the reason is that I've never been any good at the passive part of that. But you're very good at the aggressive. And that definitely works for the podcast. And there's a reason why people listen to a lot of different shows. And there's a lot of great shows here on the no agenda stream. I think the shows that we're doing are hopefully honest. I know we're, we're putting out some things and we're, we're kind of going through and trying to break down some subjects in a little bit of a different way. And they're ones that it could have been like we joked around at the beginning of this episode. We could have just simply been like, yeah, we're both completely for freedom of speech, but there's there's so many more intricacies to a lot of this stuff where I believe we could do multiple episodes on freedom of speech and on a bunch of the stuff that we've been talking about. And that's what we hope this brings to an audience as a whole is that we're looking at hopefully bigger picture things in a way that makes you think. And if if you agree with everything that we said here and think that we are just profits for saying it, then uh, of course I'd love to hear from you because I like everybody else love having my ego stroked. And uh, if, you know, if, if you want to make a donation, we welcome that too. But if you think we're completely off a rocker and I uh, think that there's something that we got factually incorrect, then I actually welcome that interaction too. Uh, I don't want to censor anyone even if you're completely wrong. Right. Cause you can't have the argument. You can't have the debate if you censor the other person. And this is where, and if, the, if you find it something where Darren is wrong, then I definitely think that you should let us know at grumpy right? Darren at grumpy Ryan at grumpy are the emails that will get to us. You know, the freedom of speech we haven't even, it's, I don't even think we've even scratched the surface. No. This is why things like climate change, People are trying to say that, that everything is settled. We don't even want to debate anymore. That is what we want to leave you with. The people that are saying there's nothing more to debate. The science is in. We don't want to let this other person talk. We don't want to give this side, whatever side it may be on whatever issue it is. We don't even want to give this side the ability to make their case. Ask yourself why. I've been going off on, on multiple episodes. I've been talking about how important it is in today's hyperconnected world to make sure that you have an effective bullshit detector. Uh, the ability to tell whether or not something somebody is sincere is uh, probably one of the most important things that you can possibly have. And some people, it comes naturally. Some people can just tell. You know, some people think they can tell, and those are the ones who get fleeced <laughs> when, <laughs> when a con artist comes by. This is but, Microsoft. Uh, your computer is infected. Please give me your credit card number. Regardless of whether or not you, you think you have natural talent, there is the most important thing you can possibly do when dealing with or encountering new information online is have skepticism. Think about what am I being told? Why am I being told this? And uh, what does the other person have to gain from telling me this? And a lot of stuff is completely genuine. But if, if you just stop, anytime that somebody tells you something, you just think about what do they have to gain? Why are they telling me this? And if, if you just do that kind of critical thinking, then you are going to be way ahead of the people who will blindly follow ideologies whether it be online or in your daily life. I guess the question is, make sure you check the flavor of the Kool-Aid before you drink it. Yes. And make sure that if the mothership's coming, it's not just, you know, nothing. If the mothership's coming, make sure that you've got a boarding pass. Exactly. And your boarding pass 
has been stamped by the proper authorities. I think that covers it for now anyway. Well, until the next time that we rant about this topic, we're far from done. (laughs) That is the truth. So until next time, I am Darren O'Neill coming to you live from a bunker deep in the heart of middle America, just outside of Chirac, where the rains are coming, but the barbecue is still delicious. And from the occasionally disclosed and infuriating sunny left coast of the United States, I'm Ryan Bemrose. Later.